Hello, and welcome to another edition of Eight More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn, and we're recording our show on Friday, February the 14th. It's Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Uh, my guest this morning is Jesse Halliday from the Louisville Metro Police Department. Uh, Jesse's title is Special Advisor, and she'll explain a little bit more about what she does, but I'll just briefly read her bio for people who uh, might not know Jesse. Uh, according to Louisville Metro Police Department's uh, website, Jesse has spent more than 15 years as a newspaper reporter in several communities from Port Huron, Michigan to Washington, D.C. She moved to Louisville, where her mother was raised, to work for the Courier Journal. After 10 years of covering public safety for the newspaper, she worked as communications director for the Jefferson County attorney, Mike O'Connell. She then spent time working as the senior policy advisor for Justice and Public Secretary John Tilley. In September 2017, she joined LMPD on the executive command staff and oversees the public information office. Jesse is a graduate of the University of Michigan, go blue, and also has a master's degree from Northwestern University. Uh, Jesse is from Detroit, but has lived in Louisville for more than 15 years now. That's so, right. past 16 years. So, now. happy Valentine's Day yeah, and thanks, welcome baby. and thank you, Jesse, for being on the yeah, show. Yeah, no morning. problem. Happy to be here. So, is that bio still fresh? Has anything changed in terms of your job title, your job responsibilities? It said I said that you oversee the public information office, but I think you do more than that. Yeah, I actually now am also overseeing our community engagement officers. Um, so. That's been part of our reorganization here of late. Um, so that unit used to be called community policing. We are trying to put the focus on engagement and actual interaction between police and residents. So we've we've rebranded a little bit. Well, that's 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 good. And the reason I um, invited you on the show today because. Community engagement, community-oriented policing, public information, those are really kinds of things that I wanted to talk about. Um, I wrote in my newsletter for people who read it at the beginning of January, like I do every year, sort of a recap of what what crime was like for the year ending in 2019. I do Mm -hmm. that every year. And um, the good news for people is that District 8 and the 5th Division LMPD, it's really the safest place in the city. Crime has continued to go down since... I'm not saying I'm responsible for this, but literally since the day I took office. Mm -hmm. 2016 was really the peak in crime in recent years. And to me, that sort of seems like it corresponded with maybe uh, the peaking heroin crisis and and fentanyl crisis and all the crimes or property crime that went along with that. But it seems like things have continued to go down. Um, All crime is down 28% from 2016 to the end of 2019, and it was even down year over year 16% from 2018 to 2019. So things are moving in the right direction. Luckily, we don't have very many violent or serious crimes in the Highlands. Occasionally, we do, and when we do, we respond to them. But since we're sort of operating from a position of strength and safety and security, um, I wanted to look back at our public safety strategy and look at some of the areas where we might have room for improvement and actually the time and space to do that. And one of the things that um, I came into office wanting to do, again, sort of in the context of rising crime, was to strengthen the city's block watch network. Yeah. There was not really a robust block watch system. You know, it's sort of an old-fashioned kind of concept, it seems like. you don't, I, I know that I'm not part of one. Right. Um, and if I don't do it, I imagine that there's lots of other busy people that don't do it. So um, we, we tried. We organized some town hall meetings. We put together a toolkit for people. We encouraged folks to do it. And we've had, you know, 
I wouldn't call it a success at all. It's actually been a failure. We were only, we've been able to help a handful of new watch clubs get started over the years, but far, far short of our goals. Um, and I think part of the reason is because people now communicate online, and you, you hear a lot about people sharing crime information on social media, and that's something that I want to talk talk more about with you and all this stuff in detail. But um, you mentioned the reorganization recently that's come out of uh, budget changes and other sort of external factors that influence how police organizes itself. Yeah. And community engagement, community policing, public information, those are sort of the areas where this stuff I'm interested in lives. Right. So can you tell me how it's changed maybe since 2016, 2017, when you started to where we are present day? Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously we had to take some budget cuts this year that – um, meant we weren't going to hire uh, a class of recruits. And we've seen higher than expected um, retirements and departures from the department over the last couple of years. That's largely due to changes in pension system. We also had a whole bunch of officers who were eligible for retirement. So that kind of all hits at the same time. Um, and, you know, frankly, we aren't as competitive in terms of what we are able to pay officers as some of our neighboring communities. So we've seen officers leave for other opportunities that might pay more. Um, so that has created a situation where by the end of this fiscal year, we anticipate we're going to be about 100 officers less than we were before. Um, Chief Conrad has addressed that by um, looking at a constriction process. And what we did to start that was combine four divisions into two. Okay. Uh, so we've, that means less administrative, you know, a couple less majors, uh, fewer lieutenants, fewer sergeants are needed. And then ultimately that means we can put more people back into patrol because that's really where people need officers most is patrolling and in investigations. So as a result of that, the community policing unit, which had been 10 officers, two sergeants and a lieutenant, is now five officers and one sergeant and me. Okay. So um, we've had to reduce our numbers of officers assigned. We had to pull the school resource officers out of the schools. They had been a part of the community services division um, because we're in a position where we're going to need officers back on the beat in patrolling our neighborhoods. So I'm probably most interested in com what I think we're calling community policing, but just to sort of make it clear is the public information office. I sort of think of something happens, usually it's something bad when it's when it's the police uh, has to go on TV and, and announce right. something at a press conference, something has happened and there are people, the press and the public want to know the facts, what's going on, what are we doing to deal with it. I sort of think of the public information office as being more like the spokesperson, press secretary, and community policing to me sounds like a little bit more, not crisis response, but sort of day-to-day -day tactical part of the actual police work. Is that is that right? And let, let's just so talk yeah, about so, talk about public information. Public first. information is we have in, in that unit. I have a sergeant, um, I have two sworn officers, and I have two civilians. So you most often see them when we're on the news at a crime scene. Uh, we respond to all of that. We answer media calls a lot. Um, mm -hmm. We handle open records, um, which we get a lot of open records requests because, you know, we're a department that has really tried to up our transparency. So we have a lot of requests from media around open records. And um, 
And I have two of those um, folks are solely dedicated to working social media. Okay. So they're doing uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and then they're working on special projects. So they do video for us. Um, We're working on some campaigns right now around, you know, highlighting officers as people Mm -hmm. you know who's behind that badge police officers Uh, are people too they are it's uh something that not everyone seems to recognize yeah so we're going to do some work around you know making sure people know who it is that's in that uniform that's you know working in their neighborhoods um so they primarily do our messaging okay well i'll come let's i'll come back to that in a minute because um, you know, obviously, community policing, community engagement, public information, these are not hard, fast lines and people's responsibilities and sort of duties bleed over into each other. Sure, yeah. But, but I mean, I, they are our public face. They are, they, that is a form of community policing and community engagement. And that is why the community engagement unit um, got shifted over to me because they really are fairly linked. Mm-hmm. Our community engagement officers are those folks that you see doing programs in schools that are doing book drives and school supply drives and really tasked with getting out and meeting people in non-enforcement situations okay. and helping them, um, whether that's going to a community event and providing information. Um, and we're doing some changing. I mean, we're rebranding ourselves and we're really trying to figure out how we can be supportive of the efforts that we're doing in terms of dealing with violent crime, um, because while things are down in Division 5, that isn't the experience for every part of our city. Right. And we do have an increase in violent crime right now. And um, it's essential for people to trust police, and, and so our community engagement folks are out there trying to build those relationships. Yeah, and we can talk more about some of these other um, citywide initiatives that you're working on. I know that you know the city or the police department puts a lot of its resources and attention in the efforts where there are still problems. Uh, obviously, the people that are listening to this podcast that live in my area think that you know there's never a time where you don't deserve equal attention, and we obviously have to have sort of a you know a strategy that that covers everything. But um, but we'll get back to some of the real new specific initiatives that are focused sure. on targeting some of these these more problematic areas in a minute. For the community engagement officers, when I started, we had what was called a district resource officer in the 5th mm-hmm. Division. And I think every every division had one that was a police officer who came to the neighborhood association meetings, who updated people, who was um, sort of a, a division level almost kind of a public face. They disappeared, I think, two years ago, or at least in the 5th Division. Is Are they gone, or is that what has morphed no, into I think, the community engagement officers? No, I th- we still have district resource officers. I believe the 5th Division does not have one. They've, they are using their lieutenants um, as those community liaisons and faces of the community. They're the ones that are going out to neighborhood meetings and um, being the face of the division. Um, and, and that I'll just interject. That I think that was sort of a strategic change that was initiated by our former um, police major, Aubrey Gregory. I've been, this right. is my fourth year in office. We've had three fifth division majors. We started with Shara Parks, who mm-hmm. is now the... Assistant chief over administration. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, is it Lieutenant Colonel? Chief? Yes, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel Parks, Parks is mm-hmm. her rank. And uh, so she's, she's a high-ranking officer in the administration, also a District 8 resident. Aubrey Gregory, who in the most recent reorganization is now the head of the Special Units Division. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. He oversees something like 20 different 
niche operations in LMPD, everything from you know the river patrol to the SWAT team to the mounted patrol to the color guard or right, a, a lot of different events. interesting mm-hmm. stuff. And Aubrey Gregory was with us for the longest period of time in the 5th Division. And I remember when he said, we're going to send our highest ranking officers out to these kinds of meetings so that we know that the people that are in charge are talking to people directly. And that was an interesting <clears throat> shift. Right. And I, and, I, and I like that and I appreciate that. And now uh, Major Bridget Hallahan is our 5th Division commander, and uh, I think she's carried on sort of that strategy in terms of having her lieutenants. Right. The position of a district resource officer is really up to the discretion of a division major. Uh Some divisions have one, some have two, um, just depending on the needs of the neighborhoods in that division. And I think Major Gregory started that concept of having the lieutenants take that on, um, because again, they had the ability to do that, um, given the level of crime and activity in the division gives them a little more flexibility than say our lieutenants who are in the first or second, fourth divisions where there's a lot more violent crime activity. Mm-hmm. So I think it, 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 it is working for the fifth division and they are getting the same kinds of community outreach, mm-hmm. um, even though there's not a district resource officer per se. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the community policing strategy or the community engagement strategy, and you know, I don't want to mix up terms if they really mean something, but it seems like a lot of the work that LMPD is doing now is about relationship building and trust building between LMPD and, if not the community at large, certain segments and neighborhoods and populations and demographics within the neighborhood, and that's important work, and we can talk more about it. I know you've got big stuff there. But in terms of actual community-oriented policing, or what I think of or would have thought of separate and apart from just this issue of basic trust <clears throat> and a culture of like respect and, and understanding, I always always thought of community-oriented policing as, you know, citizens are part of keeping everyone safe too. And they have a responsibility to, you know, if you see something, say something, or to be part of a sure. neighborhood watch and inform your neighbors of what's going on, or you know, send tips to the police and that everybody's eyes and ears are important. Is is that part of the community policing unit or, or your all's work? You know, how important is that? I mean, I understand, obviously you can't do any of that if you don't have the trust that underlies it. Right. But I would venture to say that some of the trust issues um, that are, you know, maybe in communities of color or other historically disinvested or historically disproportionately policed areas, however you want to describe it, I don't think that lack of trust exists in my area, does it? Or is it a citywide problem? Well, I would say it's not necessarily a lack of trust, maybe. And and certainly there will be people in the 5th Division and District 8 that that don't trust police. I mean, this is not like a universe. There's not like a certain pocket of police trusters and a pocket of non-police trusters. But I think people fall on a spectrum. And I think um, one of the issues is really about engagement in general. So even we find that people who trust police don't necessarily engage. Okay. And so that is, to me, really what um, the issue might be more for a District 8, for example, is what are you doing to get involved? And maybe the issue isn't your block. Maybe there's not a need to have a block watch. Mm-hmm. Um 
because to your point earlier, block watches tend to form when there is an issue. So right. they start to see something is happening. There's a trend going on. They feel the need to come together to talk about that. When everything's going fine, most people don't engage with the block watch. They mm -hmm. might engage with the neighborhood association or a community group, um, but they're not necessarily thinking block watch because they're not thinking crime. Right. Um, so that's part of the reason that those sometimes stagnate is they mm -hmm. tend to sort of pop up around issues and then they're hard to maintain because people get busy. Well, did, I don't want to cut you off. So but... I, I think it's not so much, I think when we talk about community engagement, one, we're working towards that being an institutionalized way of policing. Mm -hmm. So every officer has a community policing um focus in terms of whether they're doing enforcement or whether they're they're just making a run we're working towards a more institutionalized form of community policing um, but we have a small unit because we can be models of that we can also do certain things that people ask us to do that are bigger than just uh, you know school events those kinds of things so when you talk about institutionalizing community policing though again so I, my understanding of that would have been okay, tactically that would mean that we have more walking patrols, like the good old days. You see cops walking the beat on their block, and that, that would be like the manifestation of an institutional approach to community-oriented policing. But right. I think you're talking about something that's even more, that's less tactical, and I, I mean, and that's even more towards <clears throat> almost the culture. Or well, the... I think it's both. I think, you know, it's it's a culture of... Engaging when there's not a need for enforcement, mm -hmm. engaging when you're not on a call for service. Um, and that happens. I mean, officers all around the city do that routinely. Um, officers do get out of their cars. Yeah. We also have to put that alongside the reality of what we're dealing with in the city in terms of volume of calls of service, um, time that officers have to do that. Um, you know, the walking patrol was a great um, pilot project. Mm -hmm. We simply don't have the resources to dedicate officers to doing that because we need officers answering calls for service. I'm, gonna inter I'm just going to put a pin in what we're talking about for a minute to talk about the walking pilot project mm -hmm. that happened in District 8. And Did it happen other places across the city? It was mostly District 8. Can you just tell people, and people that were business owners up and down the Bardstown Road corridor especially, I think, really appreciated it and, and benefited from this. But this was a pilot project that was it? Let's see. It was in the summer over the of summer twenty nineteen, right? And just sort of re can you sort of explain? This was sort of the police police recruiting classes. They were finishing up their training by some sort of on the beat experience to get to we know their used, neighborhoods better. We used newly graduated recruits and mm -hmm. assigned them specifically to walk the Bardstown corridor. And I believe they did do some other walking in other parts of town, but mm -hmm. primarily was Bardstown Road corridor. Um, this has been done in other cities. Um, I think Philadelphia has had a very robust walking beat program. Um, and it was something we wanted to try. I think there has been some study. I haven't seen the results of that study oh. at this point. Um, I think someone was doing a research project on it for their school. Yeah, right. Um, right. but I we haven't seen that. And so, information about that. you know, I mean, ideally we would have that in every part of our community. It's right. just, it's, it's. Uh, it really comes down to a resource and practicality issue. Is there any reason why why it can't be part of the f formal training and onboarding process, though, whether it's in the Highlands or not? If you're part of this new recruit class, is there a reason why sort of your 
capstone project isn't walking the beat somewhere in the city for that experience? Well, I think, you know, first of all, our recruits have a pretty full recruit schedule and we do a lot of things with them during that, um, during that recruit class time that is are designed to get them focused on community oriented policing and they volunteer, they do a lot of work outside of class. They are very engaged in community events. Um, we, we have classes in the academy about interaction and how to engage with people um tactical you know pieces as well about how to de-escalate situations and how to try to get time and distance and slow things down so that things don't turn out poorly so we spend a lot of time on that in the academy the the question then just becomes you know how how do we get them onto a beat and assigned and we were able to over the summer try this pilot and I think you know saw some positive results it happened to coincide with a big budget reduction so, so is, it, is it just a matter of resources though I mean if, if it wasn't a money issue would would you all say that yeah you wish you could institutionalize the the walking patrol in or the walking part into the training and then actually more onto the yeah daily I think policing? so and and really in every district I mean I've been to many roll calls and I've I've sat with all of our commanders at various times you know, it is encouraged for people to get out. I mean, I, I did a ride along, it's probably been over a year now, but with a, a young beat officer in the fourth division and he and his beat partner routinely get out of their car. They're on the overnight shift mm-hmm. and they spend a portion of their overnight shift when they don't have a call for service, uh, just walking the neighborhood, you yeah. know, trying to see, you know, of course on an overnight, not as many people out to see you, but but that's also just a good a good opportunity to maybe notice something different. Okay. Um, I want to go back to the question that you asked, and I think it's really one of my main questions, and I have a theory about it. It's why don't the trusters engage more? And so, you know, this relates back to the block watch and everything else. Even though block watches are sort of old-fashioned and time-consuming and people only flock to them in times of trouble, online people talk to each other on you mentioned Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I'll throw in next door mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. In good times and bad times about crime, about pictures of their dogs, about, you know, commenting on their local elected officials or whatever it right. is that people do. And um, I want to understand what LMPD's sort of digital community engagement and community policing strategy is. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're not active on Nextdoor. Um, we're, we do that intentionally. The the platform really isn't conducive to engagement. Um, you know, engagement is an interaction between two people. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're an organization, it's Nextdoor really isn't set up for us to have the conversation. You know, it's it's it would take an incredible amount of resources to monitor that real time for every next door group in the city. So we can use next door as an information push out, mm-hmm. um, but then we're not engaging. And um, you know, we do a lot of engagement on Facebook, a lot on Twitter, a lot on Instagram getting comments back, engaging in conversations, using it to sort of help put out information about who we're looking for, what issues might be going out in in areas. I'm a little old school about this. I I really think what this community is looking for is the one-on-one personal engagement. 
Well, I mean, so first I'll just say this. I'll be the first to say that as a council person, even though my constituents are on all these social media platforms too, and there's some expectation that I will be too because that's where they are, I don't have the time and resources to engage on Nextdoor and answer some of these conversations either. You know, I try to drive people that want to make a formal complaint about something, especially where there's some government follow-up required. Hey, you know, there's a pothole here, or I have a problem. I constantly try to push them, well, then email me so that I can forward that information within our system and people can get it. And you're not going to see me, especially in some of these situations where you're arguing and not just sort of sharing information or facts, you're not going to see me engage in like long diatribes on next door with people. That of all the social media platforms, that's not my preferred one at all. Right. Although I do engage, um, and it's, <clears throat> sometimes it is one-on-one because people can comment and message you one-on-one. It's just mm-hmm. that everyone else can see it on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and, you know, I think I have some success there. I know I have to do it in, to some extent. So I know that the police department has a Facebook page. You have a Twitter account. Um I think in the past, there were division-level Facebook pages, so eight different patrol division Facebook pages, and now there's one citywide one. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, my own experience is that if I'm just a citizen in District 8, I don't want to follow the LMPD Facebook page because, sure, I care what's going on everywhere in the city, theoretically, but if there's something happening 15 miles from my house, I don't really care. I only care about what's going on in my area. And so I worry that, you know, people that follow LMPD's Facebook and Twitter accounts in in the Highlands aren't really engaging, either receiving information or giving it back, but that I suspect that if there was a 5th Division page, I could get 10,000 followers who all live in the area and that there would be that level of engagement. So tell me a little bit about why... You know, why you do things the way you do. Why can't we have a 5th Division page, for example? Well, so... I understand the 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 your thoughts about wanting local information. Here's where I see that as problematic from a city Louisville police public safety standpoint. If we don't start recognizing in the fifth division or the eighth division or the seventh division that what's happening in the first, second, and fourth divisions is impacting us and is something we need to be paying attention to we're not going to move the needle for this city on public safety. We need to have a full understanding of what's going on in our community if we really want a full, safer city. So from a police department standpoint, you mentioned it yourself. You've had three commanders during the time that you've been um, in, yeah. in the council. We that would mean three different personalities on Facebook. That's not consistent messaging. That's not consistent interaction. Somebody might be really good at it. Some may never add anything. Mm -hmm. So as a department, what we can control is a full department messaging. And we do um, the best we can to try to spread that around the whole city, highlight what's going on positively in in our areas. Um, But I just sort of differ with you in my opinion about what people need to know or understand about the police department is really not centered on just what's happening in their block or in their community. I I agree in some respect. And again, you know, whether it's police or whether it's homelessness or poverty 
or hunger or any of these other areas that or other these other subject matters that more affluent parts of town may not be as affected by poorer parts of town. They still have to care, obviously, because number one, these are fellow citizens and human beings, but also because problems, whether it's um, crime five miles down the road or whether it's air pollution that travels all over our you know, shared atmosphere, problems don't stay in one place. I get that. I, I acknowledge that, and people need to care about those things. But in terms of the engagement back, in terms of people feeling like they have an ability to share information with the police or to raise an issue and discuss it with each other in a way that police is a is, is engaged in that conversation, that's where I'm worried that there's a, a, a gap of some sort. And, um, you know, I, well, I guess, I I, I guess I'd wonder where... I would you again on the resource issue. Yeah. I mean, there are limited resources. And so in a perfect world, if I had... You know, 20 people in my public information office, we could have a, a division by division Facebook page. That's not the reality. I mean, but what about even at the, I mean, <clears throat> at the policy level? If the fifth division major said, I want to have a fifth division Facebook page, would the chief's office or your all's office say, we could talk about that or no, we can't no, do we that? No, we don't or, do that. That's yeah. the decision we've made because of the need to. Um, be clear about our messages and to make sure that people are getting consistently good quality messaging. And so when you say messaging, do you mean information? Yeah. Information in that it varies. I mean, not everybody can be a communicator, right? So, um, you know, we want to make sure that somebody in the eighth division is getting the same quality of delivery of information as somebody in the first division. And that is really best suited by people who have the expertise to do that. Um, so what do you, I mean, what is sort of your, for people don't may not follow the police on their Facebook or Twitter or Instagram accounts, and you want them to, I assume. Sure. Like, what what can yeah. they learn there and get there? Like, why? What should? What what kind of stuff do you share there? Is it crime reports in their area? Is it tips we talk on how about, to stay safe? Yeah, it, I mean, we've been doing the 9 p.m. routine. You know, that's be, to lock to your the, doors. Lock with, your doors at yeah. night. I mean, I like you that. know, to the to the point of, you know, fifth division, eighth division. Um, seventh division, they are a driver in terms of public, you know, safety because you, you live in a safe neighborhood and you feel comfortable leaving your car unlocked at night. You have created an opportunity for someone who is going to come and use that car in a drive-by shooting. And that has happened. And people steal your stuff and others. I exactly. Mean, I preach constantly about locking your so door. So we all have that responsibility. That is how we message. And I think, and, and frankly, I think probably people in those divisions that have less crime are the most guilty of leaving their doors open. I'm um, sure that's so, true. So that's why we use our Facebook our for that. Our crime statistics would be off the charts low if we didn't have to account for cases where cars or homes or businesses were left unlocked or you know where the where the method of entry was unknown means right you know, exactly people don't admit to unlocking yeah those That's numbers right. the numbers are are very clear and so i fully support a city-wide level campaign to drive home messaging like lock your doors right and so we're doing that we do highlight good work that officers do around the city we put out people that we're looking for that um you know obviously work we're a big, small town. Yeah. So, you know, we get an incredible amount of tips from people when they see something on our Facebook page um, or our Twitter account because, you know, 
people go to remember who they went to high school with and they recognize somebody from the grocery store. Um, so we, we do get a lot of good feedback from the public. Um, and we recognize that these boundaries are very fluid. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we may be living in District 8, but we're working sure. in the first division or we're working out in the East End. And so um, we're traveling among districts and boundaries all the time. Yeah. I'll let you talk about um, some of these special projects you're working on now uh, for the rest of the show. But um, since social media might not be the optimal place for District 8 residents to engage in the way that I'm, that I'm talking about, what is? Like, how do you recommend that they, that they do that and really get to, get to interact with police in a way that's helpful and additive to police work? Sure. Well, I mean, I think we do spend a lot of resources in trying to go where people are in terms of go to neighborhood association meetings. Be So I, I personally think of this as civic engagement. If you're getting involved in your neighborhood, if you're getting involved in organizations that you really care about, chances are at some point that's going to mean police are engaging there too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That's one of our goals. That's one of our... Um, efforts, and we're spending a lot more resources on trying to figure out how to make that personal one-to-one relationship building, um, which brings me to the Synergy Project, which is yeah. which is the big community engagement effort that LMPD is undertaking with the mayor's office in Leanings, Louisville, and our partners at Spalding University. And these are really one-on-one tables of eight conversations about how police and residents can build better relationships. Um, you know, again, I've already copped to my old school nature, but, you know, social media um, has given us a false sense of community in many you're, ways. You're younger than I am, I think. I don't think so. I'm in my mid-40s. Okay. And I well, uh, look younger than I am. <laughs> so, you know, the thing is, is that social media has given us this sort of false sense of community that doesn't really um, translate to helping each other as neighbors. And I think providing opportunities for communities to come together and have these conversations is where we're really starting to see change in attitude and change in behavior and where there's the greatest potential. And so when we do these Synergy Project action sessions, we literally sit people down in a group of eight. There's a facilitator at the table. There's at least one police officer at the table. And people really talk about their concerns about these relationships or what their hopes would be for these relationships. And then we talk about what could we actually do to improve the relationships. And what we're hearing is not a lot of, we need more social media presence. We are hearing people say, I want to meet my beat officer. I want to know who these officers are. I want to be able to have interactions with officers. now, is that, are you doing those in the Highlands? Yeah, have we're doing them meetings? everywhere. Have we and had them yet? Have we we had have not yet? had one in the okay. Highlands. I've got, um, we've just started having our big, you know, we're kind of in the first month of having these sessions. We're working on setting up some um, in the 5th Division. And um, anybody who would like to have a session, um, they're more than welcome to call me. They can call me at 548-8870. Um, and I will work with them to schedule one. Um, we are, we've had a couple at the Healing Place. We had one at the Salvation Army this week, um, working with a couple of churches in, in 
um, District 8 and others that um, might host some sessions. So we're looking for some places, and um, we're having them everywhere. But this is just this is eight citizens at a time. Yeah, I mean, we might have eight tables of eight going at okay. one time, but we're putting people specifically in a space where they can all be heard. Okay. And I think what I'm... We are used to the town hall style of meeting. Yeah. There's an issue in your neighborhood. You invite police to come and talk about it. Police stand up at the front and they defend what they did or talk about why what they did was correct or why we're doing what we're doing. And residents maybe are complaining or saying that this isn't the way we'd like to see it done or these are our concerns. And we go back and forth. And at the end of it, almost nobody feels like they got heard nobody's mind was changed um it's not really dialogue it's not really mm -hmm. designed to come to a solution or some action steps of what we could do next and that's like the there are exceptions yeah. to that where you know you have good community meetings and everybody leaves feeling good about what police might be doing in their neighborhood the point is is it's not really interactive and everyone doesn't get heard and so we're trying to model a new way of communicating with the public that's really more personal it's really more about trying to understand where people are and what their concerns are and then figuring out how we as police can address them or what community might need to do to address them mm -hmm. because to your point i could have three thousand officers out there on the street but if there are not community members willing to engage with us and work with us and take some ownership of their own neighborhoods and their own concerns then we're still not going to get anywhere Mm -hmm. You know, we really need that engagement. We really need people working with us and 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 doing some things that maybe police are not even involved in. Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, again, I'd I'd question the level of uh, I, I question the how strong or weak any of the relationships between people in the Highlands and the police are. You know, I've, I've I don't get complaints about police. I think that. All the interactions I've had between police and citizens are generally positive. Again, I've had nothing but positive experience with the 5th Division commanders and lieutenants and sergeants and officers that we've worked with. There have always been, uh, when they've been visible, uh, particularly in instances like when folks were walking the street, the response has always been good. So, you know, I know we can always work to improve the, the relationships, and you keep talking about how to make the relationships better. At some level, I feel like people just want more clear, consistent, reliable information. People are like, well, what happened in that case? Or is, I heard this rumor that that happened. Is that true or false? Where can I, you know, in some respect, I feel like it's just the information that people want more than other things. Is that is that not true? I think that's part of it, but I, I think if you don't feel like you're good, I mean, the, the department's pretty transparent. So it's not like you can't find out what happened in your neighborhood or look up your crime statistics or well, but, no. But, 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 but if you don't have a relationship with officers or you don't have a place where you can regularly go to get that information, I mean, if you live in the Cherokee Triangle and mm -hmm. you never go to the community meeting where the police officer is presenting what's been going on in the neighborhood, you're probably never going to know what happened in that. You know, it's 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 not just on police officers to be reaching out and meeting. It's also what are you doing as a resident to come in and get the information you're looking for. Right. Um, it's out there. I think, you know. I mean, there's data transparency for sure. And LMPD's transparency page is excellent. And, you know, we put a lot of data on our web page. We've got a crime data and documents page. And, it, and it's really good. It's more like. 
you know, if there have been a rash of break-ins, there's no way that people know, well, is that over? Did they get the guys? Or there was a rape or some other thing that people are concerned about. How, how People want to know what happened in all these cases. And you can get the daily crime updates or the weekly crime updates and, you know, case number 478267497, there was a assault third degree terroristic threatening in the 1400 block of something. Right. But that doesn't really tell people. Well, I think that's really the point of the Synergy Project. If what a neighborhood in District 8 needs is different than a neighborhood in Division 1, that's the information that's coming out in these meetings. And so you can't have your voice heard if you're not at those meetings. Gotcha. Um, You know, if there are things that you want police to do to strengthen the relationships, all of that to me is strengthening relationships. Gotcha. If it may not be that I don't trust police to act appropriately, but if what you're saying is that people don't trust police to give them the information that they want or aren't getting it, that's a fault in the relationship. Yeah, I don't think it's the don't trust part. That's all right. I'm saying. It's I think just, it's but the... I think that is if that is a need that needs to be communicated in terms of public information. You know, these yeah. sessions okay. are designed to drive that very conversation. Okay, perfect. That's kind of what I, mean, I what everybody's I relationship is on a different part of the spectrum so if the no relationship doubt. in district 8 really centers around need for more information yeah then that's that's one thing in in another part of town it's really straight up about i was taught from the day i was born to hate police i get it i get it so we're working on everything on that spectrum right okay well um if that's the case then you know i certainly look forward to these, the synergy meetings that happen in the Highlands will make sure the people that attend know that part of their job is to tell pe- tell the police what they want and what they need in order to um, feel stronger in the relationship and in order for it to be more productive uh, for them. So you think this is something that we'll probably try to schedule in the spring or the yeah, summer? Yeah, we're and- scheduling now. I've got three next week. I've got, um, you know, I've got about 18 other leads. We'll be scheduling them through June. Okay. Um, we're going to take a little break during the time of Derby where yep. officers are busy and nobody else wants to do anything but go to Thunder and all those events. Um, but we're going to be having them and I'd be happy to schedule one with your office and set one up. And I would also encourage folks to find one that's maybe not in their neighborhood. Okay. Um, you know, folks in the Highlands who have the ability to travel somewhere else, go to the one at Avenue Plaza next Tuesday afternoon or, you know, head to Liberty Green on uh, the 25th for the evening session because I think you'll enrich your experience about what's going on in our community. Um don't just wait for us to come to the Highlands. Um, we're Although we're a, going to. Well, we will have one in the Highlands, but there are other opportunities to engage, and sometimes we get a different perspective when we sit at a table with folks we don't live next door to. Okay, so if people want to find more information about the meeting next Tuesday on Avenue Plaza or the the whole project or the program yeah we're on the we're www.leanintolouisville.org backslash synergy project and we're putting all of our dates up there and um and i'm also sharing them with council members and sending flyers when we're having them in your area so you should keep an eye out for your district newsletters and information will be there as well okay Okay, well, Jesse Halliday, we're just out of time, so I really appreciate it. We look forward to having the Synergy meeting in the Highlands, and we'll try to encourage people to go uh, outside their neighborhood to check it out, too. Great. Thank right. you so much. Yep, thanks. thanks. 
Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash cmconed8. And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our bi-weekly e-newsletter. <laughs>